Have you ever been sifted? When you or I get sifted, something is happening in our lives that is shaking our faith back and forth like grain in a sieve. And we don't understand why that is happening. Maybe we're crying out, where are you, God? Or maybe, why did I do that, God? And we aren't sure that we're going to make it through this sifting with much, if any, faith left. My own faith has been sifted over the years by different things, by a miscarriage, by a church split, by the failings of a church leader I knew well. And when I'm being sifted, I can feel it's almost primal. I need prayer. I don't need, at that moment, somebody who says, I'll be praying for you as a social courtesy, but they might or might not. I need somebody who knows the Lord, who knows how to pray, and will seriously pray for me. Otherwise, I know I'm not going to make it. Many times over the years when Karen and I were being sifted, when we were hurting or confused or in conflict, we would drive to Doug and Marilyn's home. and I mean, yeah, we needed their wisdom, but even more, we needed their prayers. That's what we needed. It is just so comforting when you can't pray well to have someone pray for you. To have somebody there who helps you hold on to God when you're not sure you can. Well, tonight, friends, as we enter Holy Week, I want to bring you a word about sifting that will comfort you. It has me studying it. It's a word to save the sifted. This word is spoken on the final night before Jesus is arrested and killed. He's eating one last Passover with his friends. And they're all around the table, and for formal meals, as they did, they would recline on couches. They took their time. Not like Americans with the drive through <laughs> And throughout this dinner, Jesus mostly speaks to the entire group around the table. He says things to them like, this is my body, which is given for you, meaning all of you. But at one point, Jesus stops. And he turns, and he looks him directly in the eye, and he says, Simon, Simon. He uses his name twice. He's trying to get his attention. Satan has asked to sift each of you like we. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. We know from our own lives and from the book of Job and other places in scripture that all people of faith will get sifted. That's a part of the journey. Those people who were eating around that table with Jesus that night, they were. You will be, and I will be. Satan will try to use that sifting against us 
He is hoping that in that shaking motion, our faith will kind of crumble and end up blowing away like chaff in a high wind. But when Satan asks to sift you or me, he is not counting on this. Jesus' next words. Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, I've pleaded for you. Not just asked. I have cried out to the Father on your behalf, personally, by name. I would love to have heard those prayers. But we can get a feel for him from other prayers of Jesus. Maybe he was praying something like this. I'm not asking you to take him out of the world, but to keep him safe from the evil one. I'm not asking that you spare him this sifting, but I'm asking that his faith will hold up and not fail. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect Simon by the power of your name. I'm pleading with you. Help Simon repent. Help him turn to me again. Strengthen him so he will strengthen others. Some of you may be being sifted right now. You may be struggling in your faith. Maybe you will be soon. If so, I want you to know something. Jesus is praying for you. He is pleading in prayer for you by name. He would say to you what he says to Simon. This painful sifting is not the end. No, because of this one thing. I've been pleading in prayer for you. That your faith will not fail. And when you have repented, would you, and you've turned to me again, then strengthen others. Simon, I still need you. Friend, I still need you. You have work to do. Now, what does Simon do when Jesus gives him this really amazing work? He shrugs it off. He says, in effect, well, you know, Lord, thank you for the thought. But you got the wrong guy, because I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die for you. So I don't know what you're talking about with all this failing in faith. Because uh, <clears throat> looking around his table, I'm the gutsiest guy here. You know, Simon Peter thinks he's strong. He thinks he's ready. But Jesus knows what's really inside him. And Jesus says, Peter... Let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus is not here trying to say, Simon, how low could you go? Like, I'm so deeply disappointed in you. No, that's not what he's saying. He's trying to give Simon a moment of clarity, hoping that it will kind of waken him and help him get ready for the sifting that's coming. Jesus wants him to make it. And we can see that in what happens next. They, they, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus leaves the upper, upstairs room and they go as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he tells his disciples, pray that you will not give in to temptation. 
Now, I have read this so many times and have always thought that Jesus asked the disciples to pray for himself. Well, he does do that. But right here, he's asking something different. He's asking them to pray for themselves. He's, he's asking them to do that because he knows that the sifting is coming and he doesn't want them to give in when it comes. He doesn't want them to give in to the easy temptation to run away or to deny they even know Jesus. And prayer is the only way their faith is going to be strong enough to handle this. And the time to pray is now, before the sifting shows up, carrying torches and sharp swords. People ready to arrest you and torture you because you're connected to Jesus. So follow this. Is it just possible, friends, that when Jesus then leaves them there to pray, hoping they're praying for themselves, and he goes away and, and prays in such agony until he's drenched in sweat that he is not only praying for himself, Father, take this cup from me. We know he did pray that. But is it possible also that his agony is he's praying for them, that when they return, they will strengthen others? I wonder because when Jesus gets up off the ground and comes back to them, here's what he says. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so you will not give in to temptation. See, Jesus is praying for them and now he wants them to pray for themselves as well. But even as Jesus is saying those words, up the hill the sifting comes. They arrested Jesus, they led him to the high priest's home and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. I, I, I don't know how you guys picture the courtyard. I've always pictured the courtyard outside the house. And I think I've seen that in some films. But in a Roman home, the courtyard is on the inside. It's in the center of the a home, open to the air. Because the climate's not like this. It's, it's hot. It's Mediterranean. And right off the courtyard of a Roman home, like the high priest would have lived in, is what's called the triclinium, which is a large dining room. And that large dining room opens to the courtyard. So the people in the courtyard can see what's going on in the dining room, vice versa. And so the leading priests with Caiaphas and their prisoner are in the dining room, and sitting around the fire over there is Simon. So Simon can see Jesus with his hands tied with ropes behind his back. He can see the guards with the firelight flickering off their swords. Simon can hear enough of the interrogations to know they're not going well. And he can feel like it's a coiled snake, their hate for Jesus. They hate him. And just then, somebody at the fire looks at him and says, you gotta be one of his followers because you talk like a Galilean. And Peter says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And while the words are still coming out of his mouth, a rooster <laughs> crows. And Jesus hears it too. And the scriptures tell us at that moment, that moment, the Lord turns and looks at Peter. 
time stops. So does Simon's heart. It was around midnight when Jesus looked him in the eye and said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times you even know me. And now here it is, it's not even six in the morning, and he has caved. He could not hold out for six hours. And if I were Simon, I wouldn't return the gaze. I'd be looking down and away. I'd be looking at my feet. But if Simon was able to look Jesus in the eye at that moment, I believe he would have seen there not a look of disappointment in Simon. I think Jesus was trying to say something to him through his eyes. I think he was trying to say, Simon, stay strong. You're being sifted right now. But I've pleaded in prayer for you. I'm asking that you'll repent and come back because I've got work. I need you. I think he was trying to send that signal through his eyes. And Simon just stumbles out of the courtyard, weeping bitterly. He's the gutsiest in the room. (laughs) He was the most cowardly. And he knows now he'll never see Jesus again. There's no chance to make this one up. And I imagine it is at this moment when Satan moves in for the kill, tormenting Simon within. Just look at you. I don't know why Jesus ever bothered with you. He made a mistake because you're a mistake. You're worthless and you always will be. Just walk away and stop embarrassing him again. Now, will this be the end for Peter? Will he become, as we see so often these days, another Christian who walks away. It, was, it will be the end for another person who sat at the table. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they said. As your problem. So Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Now Peter is an impulsive guy. He could do that too. But as he keeps thinking over what, when, wrong, he remembers that, that odd thing that Jesus said. It kind of bugged him. I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. When you walk into St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which Karen and I have done, and I know a number of you have as well, you step into what many people consider the greatest work of Renaissance architecture, period. Your eyes go up immediately. The, the giant dome of St. Peter's soars a football field and a half straight up. And it's filled with windows. So light comes cascading down into this giant interior. It's the largest church in the world. And it's lighting up like works by Bernini. And then you pass the Pietà. This magnificent sculpture of Jesus holding the body of her son, the only sculpture that Michelangelo ever put his name on, signed his name to, 
But keep walking, friends, past all those priceless artworks because the most valuable treasure in St. Peter's lies directly underneath the high altar. And there, 84 years ago, archaeologists discovered the bones of a fisherman folded in a tissue with gold decorations and tinted with the rare royal purple. When Emperor Nero blamed the great fire of Rome on the Christians, one of the first people he arrested was Simon Peter. He ordered him to be killed in, in a gruesome way, very Nero-like, by crucifying him. But this time, Simon didn't flinch. He didn't deny, I don't know Jesus, I don't know who you're talking about. In fact, he felt unworthy to die the way Jesus had died. So he said, turn me upside down. And that's where he was crucified, in the circus of Nero. They threw his body out about 500 feet away, and it is why St. Peter stands exactly where it stands today. Now, none of all that would have been true had Jesus not pleaded in prayer that Simon's faith would not fail, that he would return, that he would strengthen his brother, Simon's courage comes from prayers Jesus prayed for him 34 years earlier. And you don't build a masterpiece to honor Judas. You don't build it to, to, to honor someone who denies even knew Jesus and then walks away and never comes back. You build it to someone to honor who just as Jesus prayed, repented and, and turned to Jesus again and spent the rest of his life strengthening others. Friends, I don't know what sifting you may face. I don't know what you've got going right now or that you will. I really don't know how strong or weak your faith may be. But I do know this. Jesus is praying for you. He knows your name. He knows what you're facing. And it, the Bible tells us boldly, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives to pray for you. And he's praying for you by name. And if your faith is being sifted, he's pleading in prayer that your faith will not fail. Amen.